This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a SuperAge? Welcome to episode 62 of the SuperAge podcast. It is great to have you with us. This will be dropping on December the 7th, 2021. So, how is everybody this week? I've, um, I had the best time the last month. We did our first Super Age Mastermind cohort, and it was fantastic. And I got to say, it was like, looking back, it was one of the highlights of my year. Um, I just loved meeting everyone, having everyone there, connecting with people, and you know, sharing a lot of the information that I know. So big shout out to Tom, Pamela, Marla, Lee, Naomi, Dr. Nicole, John, Beth, Martin, Julie, Lindy, Anissa, and Cheryl. Oh my gosh. Um, you guys are just so awesome. I'm so happy to have met you, and I'm really looking forward to staying in touch with you going forward. We're going to be doing another Super Age Mastermind in January because this one sold out in like a heartbeat, and um, we got a few people already waiting for the next one. So we'll be announcing the dates on that um, soon. We've, so we'd like to keep the number of people there to really a manageable number so everyone can get to know each other. I think that's really important that at the end of the mastermind, everybody has a, you know, you got a crew, you got some people you can talk to, you've got some other people that are on the same journey with you. So, you know, we keep it to a nice, manageable group of people. Um, if you'd like to be part of that um, and find out what's going on there, David at superage.com, um, we'll put you on the list and um, hopefully we get to meet you in January. This week on the show, I've got Wendy Parati. We're gonna give her a call in just a second. Um, Wendy had me help her out on her camp reinvention um, program back a few weeks ago. And I just had such a good time talking to her. We share a lot of the same thoughts about reinvention and limits, and it was a pretty sparky conversation. So I thought we'd have her on the show and share some of that with all of you. Well, I'm not sure where this is going to go, but um, let's give Wendy a call. Hey, Wendy, how are you today? Hi, David. I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I, I really enjoyed our conversation last week. And, it was uh, it was fun and juicy and dicey. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to rile people up. Um, um, Wendy, um, tell my people about you. Um, okay. Who, who are you? What, where are you? What's your background? Uh, my name is Wendy Parati. I am a personal and professional coach. I've been doing it for good Lord, forever at this point. I'm credentialed and certified. I started in executive coaching and leadership training, but it really was the personal and professional development of women with their what's next that drew me. And I had been doing that for years when I met a woman named Dana Hilmer, who had also been doing that for years. And we co-created this really cool program called Camp Reinvention. And we work with women, mostly over 50, mostly who are like in that, I hate the word midlife, but nobody's come up with a better one yet for a uh, part of their life to kind of get really clear on what they want that next phase to look like, and then make sure that they know how to get there. And um, we run all kinds of different programs. Like we, we work with the woman behind that goal or aspiration like we build that inner structure and then we find people like you and other experts to help bring in technical expertise so that whatever the goal is that is part of someone's what's next we're capable of giving them what they look for and um we had a ball having you as part of our first success success accelerator around career reinvention it was it was great to be there, and I I love um, these you know helping people out in this way. And uh, you know one of the things that as you know we had that discussion was that t to me the there's um there's some things that people 
may not be obvious to people, to people about, um, you know, reinventing, moving into other fields, do, doing something different. And to me, the, the big one is imagination, that so many people feel, you know, they, they sort of feel like trapped or um, victimized or like, oh, I can only do this like one thing or these two things. And to me, this is just a poverty of imagination, that, that that's the fail. And I tell people we can only do what we can imagine doing. And, you know, I use... You know, Elon imagines he can go to Mars. I don't know if he can go to Mars, but he imagines he can, and therefore he plans on going to Mars. But if he never imagined that was possible, he wouldn't, you know, start moving in that direction. And I, and I think that so much of where we, the problems we come up against is this failure of imagination. Now, truthfully, this isn't entirely our fault because we're told all day, every day, you must not do this. You cannot do this. Don't, don't even dream of thinking whatever because, you know, whatever, you know, you're, you're too old, you're too this, you're too that. And, and I just think outside of a, a few sort of athletic endeavors, that is just not true. Uh, but it's, um, it's something that we're faced with sort of all day long in the media. And I, I mean, I tell people that you can really learn anything in three years. You're not going to be great at it. You're not going to, you know, if, if, if you want to, you can learn Mandarin. You're not going to translate at the UN, but you can probably joke with a taxi driver in Beijing if that's your thing. You're, you know, you're not going to be a lead coder for Facebook, but you can, you know, you can do pretty well. And I, and I think that this is something that because people think that, that that's not possible, that that capacity does not exist, they don't allow themselves to imagine that they can do that. And so they, they, so they don't, that's just like not off the menu or it's just, it's off the menu, right? So they're thinking like, well, I've always done whatever. This is the box that I'm in. I'll just move to a different side of the box. <laughs> and well, okay, but there are other boxes. <laughs> and <clears throat> you can probably do this. It's going to require some work and I think that's one of the other things that people our age have a little bit of trouble with is the idea of, you know, like, you know, when we were in college, like learning all that stuff was hard. Like getting your first job was like hard. Everything was disorienting and weird. And I don't know what to, you know, it's just like everything was unknown and it had to be learned and it was humiliating. And I think that sort of going back to that mindset of, uh, you know, learning something entirely new, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be humiliating. And you're going to, you know, trip on your feet all the time. And just get used to it. <laughs> it's okay. That's, you know, that's how we move forward. So I, I don't know. Do you, do you see that sort of stuff? You know, it's, it's funny that you bring it up in that way. I remember when I started my coaching practice, it was before there, everybody's a coach now, right? There are 5 million kajillion coaches on the planet. Everybody knows what that but is. Why is that? I don't, I, I, don't I don't, I don't know. The, you know what? Actually, I have some ideas about that, but well, we'll put a pin in that to the right. next piece of that conversation. <laughs> but when I first started it, I remember ever, everyone saying to me, wait, what, what do you do? What is it that you do? And I used a really similar explanation to your three year. You can learn everything in three years. Basically, I said, if you, anybody can learn anything that they are intellectually capable of learning. So if you have the intellectual capacity to learn how to fly a plane, Google it. There are a million instructions out there to fly a plane. I guarantee you, you put a little time and attention, you'll be able to fly a plane. But if you've got some sort of an emotional fear, some sort of perspective, some sort of story that tells you why you can't, mm -hmm. that makes you afraid of it, that thinks it's not possible for you to do or not possible for anyone to do or someone like you to do, then all of a sudden you can't, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to fly that plane because you've got that limiter. That thing that you're calling imagination, uh, I, I think is driven often by fear. 
And mm-hmm. that's what we do in coaching. We help, help people untangle that imagination as a limiter, that fear as a limiter, so that they're opened up to be able to do anything that they want to do. Because learning is impeded by your lack of belief in the possibility that you can. Yeah, that's right. Um, you're probably a lot more gentle with it. I mean, <laughs> I just don't, don't count on it. I, I think I'm just, I'm sort of at the point of like, I just say like, get over it. Um, listen, <laughs> you can do a lot more than you think you can. Um, and, uh, and, and you can excel at it. And, uh, and that's, um, sort of an interesting thing. You know, I think we, before we get on the call here, we were talking about this idea of delusions. And I, I had a mental health professional um, tell me once in a, in a social setting, <laughs> I wasn't under the care, <laughs> tell me that uh, we all have three core delusions about ourselves. These things that we really think are true, we hold very tightly and they're not, they're delusions. And the problem with this is that they are, they are core delusions. So they're central to um, who we think we are and they're untrue. There is no way on earth that we, I don't care how much reading or whatever navel gazing you do, that you're gonna think your way out of that. Right um, on. That you, you it, re- it requires an outside <laughs> entity to come into you and say, hey, actually, you're really good at this thing. Or this other thing that you think is the only thing you can do and that you must do and you hate it, that's not true. And this can be really, it's not something that somebody can take in. I mean, maybe some people can, but no, they can't. It's just, they they just can't. I mean, it, Mm -mm. it takes like being told this again and again and again. And then, you know, I'll tell you in my case, so um, I'd been told for years that I was like a great storyteller. And I was a photographer. I thought, no, that's not what I do. I do this sort of quiet thing in the background. And and then I, I sort of did it. And I was somebody nominating me to do a this big TEDx thing in front of 4,000 people. Scariest thing I'd ever did in my life. <laughs> seriously and i've done like a lot of sort of like physically scary stuff this was just absolutely terrifying and i did it and i realized i was alive and that i could do this and it it's that sort of thing like we sort of have to have some kind of evidence that this outside who's ever telling us from the outside world is true that they're not completely crazy um because they are telling us something that's core to our belief about ourselves right and you know them telling us that is only going to get us so far we have to sort of like step out and and test the waters what is this really going to be like and you do that a couple of times and you have success and then it starts to be like oh i get it maybe this could work and for me i mean that took I don't know. I'm a slow learner. Maybe I don't know, Wendy, but it took years. <laughs> it does. It, it takes years for everyone. And it really, you know, I, I'll share with, with your audience, um, the metaphor that you used, um, at camp reinvention and the talk that you gave to our folks, you said, you can't see, you will never see the outside of the can when you're inside the can. <laughs> That's right. right? I, it, it's just, it's <laughs> such a perfect metaphor for that sort of tangle inside of our minds and these core delusions that we all have. We never are capable of seeing our own because they're built up over a lifetime of protecting ourselves from mm. every little ouch and bump and bruise along the way. And we come to believe that narrative, right? That narrative becomes the way we explain the actual facts of our lives, the actual things that happen. We're not making that part up, but that narrative, those core delusions are the way we explain it to ourselves and others. And it becomes a trap. Yeah, that's right. Because we're not, um, we are not externally limited. We think we're externally limited because we really don't want to face the fact that we are self-limited, which is a much harder thing to digest. 
you know, to say like, oh, well, my circumstances are really the result of my actions. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm responsible for that. The, the, the world didn't do this to me. I, I, you know, wherever I am, wherever I'm going, I did this to myself for better or worse. Um, and and I, that's been my experience is that I've known people with coming from what one would think would be tremendously limited external circumstances. And they're amazing people and they do amazing things because they are not internally self-limited. Um, they're just like, hey, I can do this thing, whatever it is. I mean, I know, I know people that are paraplegic and they're like, yeah, we're going to go do this thing. Um, you know, people who've come from very trying childhood situations and, and, and they, you know, because they've got that other thing. They're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. So, Right. Yeah. What is, what's That's that I guy's think. name? I think his name is Paul Alexander. And he became a lawyer from inside. Uh, he spent his entire life after polio from age six on in an iron lung. Mm. And, uh, and it became an attorney and he wrote a book. And right. self-limitation is huge. That story we tell ourselves is everything. And I think because we're so wired for self-judgment and self-blame that when we hear, hey, it's all, it's on you. We feel like that's a weight. We feel like it's a blame. We feel a heaviness. So many people feel a heaviness of that when just a little shift of the imagination in your right. language says, oh my gosh, that, that it's like the gates are open. Freedom yeah. is right there. The control is actually yours. I mean, how amazingly powerful is that? It, it, you know, because it's it's a toggle, right? On the on the one side is accept your grim reality. Yeah. <laughs> and the other side is, oh my God, this is amazing. Look at what I've done. Yeah. They're both the same, you know, it's just depends on what how you want to look at it. Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing coming from the male perspective. I can so hear that accept your grim reality. And the voice I think for women is suck it up, buttercup. Right. <laughs> right? Same right? Thing. You know, it's the same thing, but like we live underneath this like burden and yeah. we don't realize that we hold the key. We hold yeah. the key and as frightening as it might be. And I'm sure that you were shaking in your pants. Oh my God. <laughs> on that TEDx stage for the first time, right? Always being behind the camera and now in front of it. But how liberating to have tried it. And I promise you that had you fallen flat on your face, you still would have been glad you did it. Maybe. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm on the other side of this green light and work with folks on this all the time. You still would have been glad where you, you did it because in the end, the burden that most people feel in life is what if I wish I yeah. had, I that's wish right. I had. That's right. That's the, re that's the regret, right? Nobody, regret. you know, like it's not the it's not the regret of the mistakes. It's the regret of, oh, I never tried that. I, I could have, you know, that whole thing Marlon Brando. I could have been a contender. That's right. yeah. Well, not That's unless right. you like go and do something, right? That's right. You know, I, I try to instill that in my kids and tell them that I've never seen anyone who truly succeeds forward, right? Every success is almost like an ending point we fail forward. Yeah. Like it's everything that you try and fail and try and tweak and play with and experiment with that actually moves you forward mm -hmm. to those successes that are like, bam, did that check it off the list. And then we fail forward again. Uh, that's yeah, that is so well put. Um, I think people, you know, we we're just sort of conditioned to that, uh, the pleasure principle, right? The, 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 like the dopamine addiction. So we just, we want to get the likes. We want to get the, we want to like constantly, um, seem tell ourselves anyway, that everything is going forward. And, you know, and, the, and it, it doesn't, um, it's, it's entirely unrealistic view of reality and it limits us from trying things. And, and I, and I think that, 
I think it's interesting. This um, I, I spoke to um, the Stanford professor who wrote Dopamine Nation a little bit about this, and because we're so want that like check the success box, um, you know the the friend like box, whatever that is, all that sort of stuff that we we're un we're unable to tolerate the other side of the seesaw and there's there's sort of a um you know a neurochemical balance that happens has to happen there and if you're if you're always on one side that other side is going to get super scary mm -hmm. uh and i think that it's really a lot of the seemingly really successful people that i speak to they'll they just say like right you know, you think these are like masters of the universe and you talk to them and they're like, you know, 30, 40% of everything I do every day, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just making it up and I screw it up all the time. And, and you think, really? But, to, you know, to be able to accept a certain level of unpleasantness, like to actually embrace, I'm going to tell you a secret, what I do in the mornings. So after I, I, I get on my spin bike and I do my thing, and then I immediately go in and I take a cold shower. And the, in the part of the world that I live in, cold is like really cold. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, the water now is in the 40s. It hurts. Um, but I do it. Um, one, because you get this like chemicals in your brain and you feel the serotonin and you feel like awesome. Um, but also I do it because I know this is going to be profoundly unpleasant. I'm not going to die, and I'm going to do this for two minutes. And if I can do this for two minutes, this like terribly unpleasant thing, whatever else I have to do during the day, I got to like speak to my attorney, I got to pay my bills, or I got to like, you know, do some kind of crap that I really don't want to do. That ain't nothing compared to two minutes in 40 degree water, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm good for the rest of the day, right? Yeah, you know, I, I love that. I love that setting yourself up to say, if I live through this, right. I can live through the next thing, right? right Whatever that right. is. And, you know, right. so much of, of what we teach at Camp Reinvention is about what you don't notice, right? All of those things, all of those little things that you have lived through, that you have triumphed over, that you have merely survived, if you notice them for the win of mm. it, rather right. than for the pain of it, my God, by the time you hit our age, we'd feel completely invincible. You Inst are. We are, right? Yeah. Instead, I think because it, of that negativity bias and each of those things sort of registered the noticing of them was the pain point rather than right. the triumph of the survival, we get more risk feels riskier. We feel like we have more to lose as the decades pass. Um, when really the opposite is the case. We have more to win. You're far more resilient. And, mm -hmm. I, and, I, and I think that that's one of the, the, the misnomers at this age is this, again, um, popular culture portrays us as being incredibly fragile. And we need like, you know, got to grab that bag of meds before I leave the house. And, you know, you dare not try whatever because there's, uh, there's a, you know, there's certain vested interests out there in the world that want you to feel fragile. And the, the reality is, if you've been around for 40, 50, 60 years, you are incredibly robust. You have the sort of resilience that a 20-year-old can't even imagine. Like, nothing is going to rock your world. Like, you, you've got this. You know, I'm, I'm interested. Where do you think that popular culture of fragility in age came from because i'm going to tell you pharma <laughs> I, I think you're right i think you're right i grew up my great-grandmother lived with us for a while she was well into her 80s and i'm going to tell you something there was nothing fragile about that woman she had no. these arthritic hands that she would bang on the marble sink top every morning and plunge into hot 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 water like wringing them and like 
literally cursing like a sailor at them saying, move, damn it, until she got those hands working again. I mean, she was like 88 at the time. And then she'd go and fold my mother's laundry while she was at work. There was nothing fragile about that woman. Where did we get this? Well, that's an interesting thing um, because I, I think people... I, you know, I've given some thought to this, and I and I think that the fragility comes from a sense of physical fragility, and there is an onset of that at, at some point. But I but I also I mean, I'm sort of uh, my feeling is that all of this sort of like the mindset sits on top of your physical body, and if you feel strong in your body, you're going to feel strong and resilient in your mind and the rest of you. And I, and I, so that's, I, I think that's part of it. Um, so, you know, when people, I, I think during, you know, in our talk, I, I told people like, if you're going to a physical job interview, go to Pilates for like a couple of months beforehand, get yourself so you can walk in straight and strong because that's how you're going to internally feel strong and they're going to perceive you as strong. Um, so I, I think that's part of it. The, but I think it's not the whole thing. Like I think there's a again there's a certain sort of um, commercial interest out there in the world um, that would like to essentially infantilize us. And you know, my mom. I just um, my mom passed a couple months ago. And I'm sorry. Uh, my mom at the end, she was like 91, almost 92, and she was physically really frail. But um, you walked into her hospital room, you were in her kingdom, <laughs> and you obeyed those rules. And it didn't, I, she didn't care who you were. Um, and so there was like a real sense of um, internal power there where there wasn't a lot of physicality left you know so I, I i think that there's it's i think it's a complicated thing and i and i and i think that this is something that i'm i'm i have a lot of knowledge about um increasing health spans and and longevity we talk a lot about it on super age and, and my personal feeling is that people are going to be living much longer and much healthier and that what we think of now as a 90-year-old, I mean, really, in 1980, um, 60 was old. Um, I'm going to be 63 in two days. I don't feel old in the least. Um, no. not, not at all, right? And I, so I think that this, with a certain segment of the population, not, not everybody, um, but there will be people who will become these, you know, sort of shiny... A significant part of the population will be living longer and healthier and acting in a way that's going to sort of bust up this idea that uh, you know at a certain age, a certain age equates to a certain sort of resignation and frailty. I, I, I think that that's just going to go away. You know, as I'm listening to you talk about like what this other piece, other than the physicality, is might be, it's it's reminding me of a conversation that we had about being useful right? oh, yeah. about relevance. <laughs> Am I relevant? Am I useful? Right. That's my big bugbear. Yeah. <laughs> People, I just, there are all these sort of seminars and classes and courses and books and a lot of them are written and given by very good friends of mine. And it's all about like, you know, find the thing that you, your passion. And I think to myself, Oh my God, that is such a horrible idea. Do not do that. I don't just like put that out of your mind that for, for one, it's just belly button gazing and whatever your passion is at this moment is emotionally subject to how you feel tomorrow. It's entirely dynamic. It's totally self-centered. It's only about you. It's not about anyone around you. It's, and it's just, it's, it's, it's childish. Um, my, my feeling is, what is your purpose? What is your usefulness? And I can tell you, and you, I'm sure you know it from your coaching, that, you know, and we've done big surveys on this, P- 
people are three times more scared of being irrelevant than dying. Mm-hmm. They're not as afraid of death as they are of irrelevance. And how do you be, stay relevant? You have purpose. And I'm, you know, I th- what I tell people is if you find your purpose, your usefulness, the thing where you have people counting on you every day to get out of bed, to contribute, that is what you will love. You will, it is very rare that the opposite happens. You find something you love and it becomes your purpose. That, that, that doesn't work so well. It's, and, you know, and before we got on here, I, I'm, uh, I looked up Ikigai, which is the Japanese thing. So, so Ikigai is do what you love, what the world needs, what you get paid for and what you're good at. And, you, and, and that's the bullseye. You find that. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like when I go to Japan, people, it's not at all unusual to see people in their 80s and 90s working very hard at a craft, a job, something that they feel really devoted to. And having, having that sense of purpose, if you want longevity in your life, there is like epigenetically, um, that is a great boost to your health span and, and lifespan if you are engaged in something that you feel you have a great deal of purpose in. Mm. That's my soapbox. You know what? All right. So, and, and it's kind of lighting up my soapbox a little bit. I could not agree with you more. I mean, truly, I could not. We, we kind of got to this point when we were, when we were talking together at Friday, on Friday at Camp Reinvention. Um, I could not agree with you more. And I think that the things that pop up for me, though, is that for women, there is this still, at least for women of my generation, this culture of suck it up buttercup in service of others. And so this purpose, this this being useful, you can do that as a woman and not be a doormat. You can do that and choose just because you can do something doesn't mean that is the thing that you should do. You still get to choose your usefulness and your purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think many women have gotten to 40, 50, 60 and haven't tried that on for size yet. So I think that that's an important component of this. That's the imagination part. That's the, that's imag- the imagination that, part. That's right the imagination on. part. That's where you're, you know, it's like, oh, it, you know, if I'm going to hire someone, if I find, if I find like, you know, a woman in her fifties and sixties, who's raised four kids, had a career, had some like husband who acted, acted like a baby. She's got to manage him. She's got to manage the house, the work, the finances. And, and now a lot of that is released. She's like out of a slingshot. Mm. She's just like, bring it on. What can you, you know, what, what can you throw at me? Cause nothing is going to rock my world. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think in the other, the other component of that uh, notion of purpose and passion, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of those other buzzwords out there, and this is my bugbear, David. So okay. I've, I've got to throw it in. <laughs> I've got to throw it in. Um, you know, extreme self-care, like there, there are a lot of these words, these terms out there, and they come from a really good, powerful place, mm-hmm. but they turn into these things out in the social media universe, out in the common bubblegum psychology culture out there, where we enjoy the aha of them, the eureka of it, right? Oh, I can choose my purpose. Ah, to be useful. Ah, to take good, to, to pay attention and to really take care of myself, put the oxygen mask on first. That's where all of those things came from. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that something in our culture has sort of created this aha eureka loop and personal <laughs> and professional development. Like we just listen to more podcasts and right. go to more webinars and read more books. Aha, aha, eureka, eureka. It feels good. Right. But unless you take that aha and turn it into some sort of practice, take yeah. action on it, yeah. it, that's where the belly button gazing comes in. Then it never becomes integrated. It never becomes the what's next. It because there's no become, risk. You're not risking anything. You have to right? risk. You're listening to you a podcast. What's the risk in that? Risk right, right. on. You've exactly. got to put yourself out there. Right. You've yeah, got to I get put that. yourself out there. 
Yeah, people, you know, I, I have this every once in a while. I don't like giving people advice, but sometimes they, they pressure me. So <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> you really want to know what I think? <laughs> Show me your calendar, and I don't want to see a single block of white space on that calendar. What are you doing today? From the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep, get busy. Start doing stuff and try helping other people. Um, and that's really the, the short circuit to that loop is help others, whatever that looks like. Um, and it can be, you know, for some people that's a very difficult thing to do. And it can be as simple, I just tell them like the next time you're in an elevator, the first person that walks into that elevator, you say to them, hey, love your shoes. Boom, you just made their day. So you were helpful. That's Here's like, the thing though, the science on that, it energetically boosts you. If, yes, when you, exactly. if you are depressed in the moment <laughs> right. that you said, hey, I love your shoes, you feel your energy goes up a notch. Like there's yeah. a ton of research on this. That's right. And so, and it, it, so it's, it's, it breaks out of that loop. And so suddenly that one little action, hey, I like your shoes, changes your thinking. And then you think, oh, what else can I do? That worked okay. That person didn't kill me. In fact, I feel a little better. Okay, what phone calls can I make? Who can I reach out to? You know, how can I expand my metric? Who else can I talk to today? What are the other actions that I can take? Because, hey, I got another seven and a half hours, seven and a half hours in my day here, and David's going to yell at me unless I fill this up. So <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> I, 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 I can't remember where I heard it, if I read it in a book or I heard a financial person say this, but they said, if you want to know what's important to a person, look at their bank statement. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that's really powerful how hmm. true that is. And I think that the same can be said to your point on the calendar. If you want to know why you're not that's where right. you are in your life, yes. look at your calendar. I, that's, you know, <laughs> this is so true. Um, you know, some people say, I, I, I like to sleep. And sleep is very important to me. And I spend a lot of time preparing for sleep and getting ready for sleep. I also somehow manage to exercise like a lot every day. And people say to me, how is it that you have time to do that? And I just say, it's, I just make it happen. Like you, we're in charge, right? So we can decide what we want to spend our effort on. And I think that's entirely right. There's a... Um, you know, as I, as I tell people, you get a commission. Everything you do pays a commission, one way or the other. Maybe somebody's taking a commission from you, maybe you're getting a commission. But every action you do um, has, a, has a consequence, good and bad. So let's look at the sum total of your actions. And you can just, like, I love that. You just look at somebody's calendar. It's like, so let's have a look here. And, and you can tell right away what somebody's priorities are. And it, it and there's that may fit them really well, or there might be an entirely like like for some people having that inventory of like what did I what am I actually doing? Mm. Um, it, a lot of times I, I do this with people who are interested in their health spans. I say, well, listen, like let's invent like what are you eating? <laughs> I want you to write it down for like two weeks. Let's get real about this. What are you actually eating? Um, to to be presented with somebody's time management, I love that. You know, I, I love that you, the way you brought up the concept of time too, in saying like, look, I get a lot of sleep. I spend time preparing for sleep. I exercise mm -hmm. like a crazy person and I'm still David Store of Ageist and rocking all, that world also. Where do you get the time? Now, I'm going to admit before I even say this, David, my brain is not big enough to fully comprehend this, but it excites the hell out of me. I have a friend who is a, um, a theoretical physicist, and he says that time expands based on your perception of it. That's right. That's and absolutely right. I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I hear him talk about it, like everything lights up in my brain. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's it. That's it. That's it. And if I had to explain it to somebody, uh, it, it's like everything turns into fudge inside my head. 
But I know that once I heard that and got excited about it and started to believe it, it's true. I used to be so quote unquote busy. I didn't have time for anything. And now I have time. I'm still, I'm just as busy, but it appears that I have time for whatever I choose to have time for. And you always did. And I always did. (laughs) It's it again. Oh my God. We're circling right back to imagination. (laughs) You know, I, I like to tell people Beyonce has the same 24 hours you do. Look what she did. (laughs) What did you do? (laughs) And again, this is not, I I want every listener out there to hear us clearly. This is not for self-blame, for self-judgment. Blame and judgment are the enemy of virtually everything. Mm -hmm. This is like, this is the key to the gate. Once you know you hold it, whoopee, right? Make hay while the sun shines, friends. You've got the key. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, a lot of the, I, I get to, inter- between like my photography career where I photograph a lot of very, very high performing people and, um, and then with Aegis and Super Age, I get to interview a lot of them. So many of the people that are, that really excel, they do it in this incredibly effortless way. Um, I think it was, I want to say it was Mike Ovitz I read about. He said he works six hours a day, but it's really only three that count. Um, and he just you know, runs this empire. Um, and, I, and I think that there's a way that people have, certain people have, they, they just sort of get out of their own way. There's mm-hmm. just less of that sort of, feeling of failure and 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 there's this like less less agita you know they're just like oh okay yeah we're gonna do this okay great yeah cool and and (laughs) you know i I think it's um oh my gosh tell me i'm gonna have one of those moments now where i don't remember a name gary keller who wrote the one thing Hmm? right very simple concept like the whole book really boils down to one thing Right. And it, it's a simple yet brilliant concept. What can I do in this moment that in doing so yeah, makes everything right. else easier or unnecessary? That's if right. we use that little thing as the rolling pebble in the path, everything becomes easier. There's no push in that. I think we're constantly cultured to push things to happen. And when you're pushing, it's exhausting. Yeah, that's that's right. You know, and if you can make if every day you can whatever your whatever it is that you're striving for, if you can do that 1% better, mm-hmm. it compounds. And um you don't have to do the whole like, you know, get 50% better today. No, you don't. Just 1%. Get 1%. Yeah. Everybody can do that. You know, whatever it is that you're doing. And that, you know, with just a small amount of time, um, you get yourself a, a long distance. And I, and I think it's that thing is saying, like, what can I do to just make whatever I'm doing easier and more enjoyable? Rather than, I mean, I know that I'm certainly victim to this of, like, how can I make it more dramatic? <laughs> how, <laughs> right. can, how can I make it harder? That's oh, yeah. Right. Like, how can I what else can I heap on here? What else can I do on here to make this more difficult rather than like, there are 10 things here. Just get rid of nine of these. They don't really matter. Yeah. Just, just yeah. do this one thing and, and, and do it well today. You know, at, at Camp Reinvention, we like call we refer to that as pushing the pebble forward. Mm. And if you push the pebble forward just a little bit every yeah. single day, That's a, right. a tiny pebble, not the boulder, not the whole thing. If right. you start thinking about the boulder or the mountain that you're pushing it up, overwhelming, you're stuck then, right? But just push the pebble forward. If you are not in that state of inertia, mm-hmm. you are so agile. At, and I, somebody once told me the three Ps, um, perfection, procrastination, paralysis. Hmm. Yeah. And they're like glued <laughs> right. together. I tried to think of a P word to make them stuck right. together, but I. And, 
and then you're locked up. <laughs> right. Nothing happens. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Um, so what else did we talk about? We talked about, I think I advise people, um, you know, three things. You get, you need a job, you need a gig, and you need a hustle. And um, because the job is not so secure. I don't care what your job is. <laughs> your whole industry, like, I, I seem to have this, you know, sort of like a lot of things going on. The whole media world could just turn upside down tomorrow. And, and so, okay, so what, what's your gig? You know, um, what's that? And then, you, you know, I, I think the hustle is like the sort of thing that you do just to make a couple of bucks because it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's something like some silliness on eBay or something, but it's just like, oh, that's fun. And, and I, what I find is that if, if you have this, this sort of constellation of things around you, the drama around any one is dramatically lessened. Um, and they all contribute to a um, sort of a mindset of, I'm not really, I don't like this word, but abundance. Like abundance just seems like. Because it's one of those words that got over. It's a wonderful word. It just got all gummed up. All of that stuff out in the stratosphere. But, but, But you just sort of get into that mindset of like, oh, oh, let's try this. People need me for this. You know, maybe whatever it is I do at my job. Okay. I get, I get paid well for that. Okay. I'm good at that. But because of that, I've developed this skill set of some minutia. And you know what? There's like 10 other people in the world out there who are very interested in this thing. And they would love for me to teach me about that. And on my way to work every day, I notice this other sort of weird thing out here happening. And you know, on Sunday afternoons, I'm going to spend like two hours monetizing this weird thing. And I might only make like two bucks out of it, but boy, that was fun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there's so much out there right now that is, look, in this, in our age range, we want time affluence. We want relevance. And we want financial affluence. Like we we have been in a build for decades now. And most of us are not ready to throw in the towel on what's next, right? We want that relevance, but we also want time and, and, and financial affluence. And mm-hmm. so some dirty little thing happened out in the world that said, oh, so find your passion and start a business <laughs> Right. Do what you love. You'll never work another day in your life. And that is a steaming pile of poo. It's absolutely (laughs) not true. Right. So I I, I love I mean, I do what I love Mm -hmm. and. There are lots and lots and lots of moments of it that don't feel like work, Mm -hmm. but it is a full time job Mm -hmm. to have two businesses. Mm-hmm. Right. It is it, it is two full time jobs to have two mm-hmm. businesses. But, you know, time expands based on your perception. So mm-hmm. it all works. The point is, I think that by looking at it through this and I haven't heard this lens until you said it at Camp Reinvention on Friday um, to look at it by, hey, what's the mix? What's the mix for me mm-hmm. that gives me relevance or usefulness, however you want to term it? that gives me time affluence, that gives me financial affluence in the way that fits who mm-hmm. I am, what I want, what I want that what's next to look like. And it might be a little bit of the J-O-B job mm-hmm. with a side gig and with a hustle, mm-hmm. or it might be just, I keep the corporate career and I have a hustle because that lights mm-hmm. me up. Like there are so many ways to mix and match that I think that are aligned with the reality of what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do. Back to imagination. Back to imagination, right? Yeah, and- that's the problem. That's the, I, 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 it's not a limit. I won't call it a problem. It's, it's our self-limitation. It's a limiter. 
yeah. right? It's a limiter. And we can use lots of words for, for imagination. It, it can be your perspective. It can be what you believe is possible. It can be, and I promise you, for lots of people out there listening, it's your fear that is the limiter of your mm-hmm. imagination. Because yeah. I guarantee you, you were born imaginative. You were born expansive. Something scared you into squelching what you believe is possible. I think that's right. Um, and I think that um, we, t- we talked a little bit about, you know, the HR fails mm-hmm. and that um this fascinated me that these conversations that you have (laughs) that you had so i'm in this sort of um the nature of what we do is that whenever we're curious about something we we you know we have sort of the we have the ability to just figure it out we we just ask people so we we contacted a bunch of people who were big hr professionals and i said listen i want to talk to you off the record it's anonymous i'm not gonna use your name tell me what is the deal here How's this working? So a couple of things came out of that. The first is that um, most of the jobs are not, the things that get put onto job boards are the things that they can't fill. Like they they just like sort of top of mind can't get filled. So it's, um, they're gonna go to their network. So they're gonna go to the, they're gonna ask the people and they're gonna ask other people, who do you know, who do you know, who do you know? So therefore, um, no more people (laughs) like, the bigger your network, the greater your chances you're going to get that phone call, which is not to say that, you know, there are other ways to get a job, but I, that was interesting. And then I, I asked them about, um, I said, okay, let's get real about this ageism thing because I'm, you know, I'm hearing a lot about this and it seems like a real thing. And every single one of them said, we try so hard to pull in the older workers because they're more stable, they're gonna show up, they're committed, they're just like a whole range of things. But there's like, and so to get one of these jobs, you've gotta go through these like several sort of steps and layers and you usually get you know called in, you get like a couple of rounds with the HR folks and then you meet with the team. So the team has to gel. And chances are your supervisor and the other people on your team are going to be younger than you. So now how do you handle that? Remember that the person on the other side of the table who's going to be your boss is terrified of you. They're terrified of you because you're older. They know you know more. Now, they don't want to let that on, but they, they like internally, they feel that. And they, there's a sort of a sense of um, they feel threatened because in their world, what they're doing is they're climbing the corporate ladder. And they think you're doing the same thing, but you're not. You're, you're like in an entirely different sphere, right? So to let the other person know, like, um, first of all, um, I don't want your job. <laughs> I am here to make you awesome. That's my job. I wanna make you awesome. Um, how can I help you get to that next level? Because I know that's really what you want. Um, and then, so that's one, possible fail. The other one is the cultural one. And this is the one that, that I love is that the person, so say somebody our age is there being interviewed and it's a very high pressure thing, right? It's like, we think like, oh my God, the rest of my life is like riding on this. And so our, our fear and our stress is like, you know, DEFCON 4, like, oh my God. And then we get asked some kind of question. And the question will be like, well, what do you think about XYZ. Now, the right way to handle that is to say, that is such a great question. I'm so curious about that. I would love to learn more about that. You know, how do you guys, and just answer back with questions like, like curiosity. But because we're like DEFCON 4, we don't say that. We say, we kind of go back to our lizard brain, which is, we're very scared. We say, oh, well, yeah, um, 25 years ago when I was doing whatever, this is exactly how it went and we should do blah, blah, blah. Now, as soon as you reference anything that's probably more than, I used to say three years, now I say it's more than like a year, you're toast, off with your head. You're, you're now a dinosaur. And, you know, because what's happened is you've been pegged as someone who's incurious. And really what you want, I, I mean, I tell people if, if someone has drive and they have curiosity, they can do any job in the world. Like, well, 
within reason. Um, but that's those are the qualities, right? It's yeah, you know, like a certain amount of skill and sort of stuff. But like you know, all that stuff can be learned, and really quickly. But it's that other thing. It's like I'm really curious, and how can I help you? Oh my God, you're awesome! Like, what are you? And and keep it like that. That's the win. But the you know the fail is that sort of cultural thing. And yeah, and you know, I I, and I think that. I think that people go in at our age, they go into that interview already in a defensive posture. Exactly. Right. And exactly. We can smell a defensive posture from a mile away and it, it, it's repellent. Right. Mm -hmm. And I I don't mean that again, I hate like judgmental and blamey words. It really put by repellent. I mean, it pushes people back when you're in a defensive posture, people move backward. When you are in a posture of excitement and of curiosity and of just wonder and, and just like creation, right. That creative posture, it pulls people toward you. And that's what an interview is about, right. They've got your resume. They know what your skill set is. An interview is about having conversations that pull people toward you. And, and rem- remember, the reason the HR people have you in there is because they're really smart. And they know that a monoculture is very dangerous. That, you know, having a diverse ecology in, you know, whether it's out in a field or it's in a, you know, a meeting room, that's what keeps companies and brands out of the ditch. Um, when you've got everybody that's the same and they're all saying the same thing, that's, um, that becomes a difficulty. So, I mean, there's certain things that just neurologically, we tend to be able to see broader things because we've been around longer. So we can sort of top down, look at things and be like, oh, you know, the ramification of X may be Y. Whereas the younger people may not be thinking so much about why they're just thinking about how to make X bigger. Um, they're totally focused on that. And so that's g- great to know that that's, you know, why I, you know, I'm going to be um, ageist here and say, like, if you want somebody to like tunnel down on some code, get yourself a 25 year old on Red Bull, like <laughs> those are your people. <laughs> but if you, they're not thinking about the ramifications of what they're doing, <laughs> but they're going to do this other thing really well. So, but we do this, you know, we have, we have skill sets that we're able to see pattern recognition because we've just seen more stuff. So we're able to recognize the pattern and we have really good abilities. Um, as my friend Chip Connolly would talk about like um, EQ, like our emotional quotient is much higher because we've just we got a bigger hard drive we've been around like more people and we're able to to sense that pretty quickly so and and so it's good that's where wisdom comes in right wisdom is eq and you don't have and there's a whole i won't science geek out on this um but there is a whole physiological reason why you don't have access to that wisdom when you are in a fearful or defensive posture. And so while these diverse economies or ecosystems, right, in in the workplace or any place else are the best possible result or create the best possible outcomes, they only do so when when there's at least someone, some player, at the table who has the wisdom to pull everyone out from the other side of their line in the sand, right? right? Because when we all have lines in the sand, we move nowhere, inertia again. When we tap into that, our own sense of wisdom, and I think there are lots of younger people who have access to that too, Mm. right? It's about tapping into it, tap into that sense of wisdom. That's when we are that's when curiosity reigns. That's when we are elevating others, not just ourselves. When we're, ele- when we're listening for what moves, pushes the pebble forward at the table mm-hmm. for the greater good, rather than worrying from that defensive posture, uh, I know this, and so this is what we're going to talk about, or I think this, and so this yeah. is the right answer. You know, wisdom plays yeah. a key role, but 
we need to be without fear in order to access it. I believe in smiling. <laughs> you know, that's a neurological trigger. <laughs> I think smiling is it's an incredible superpower. It really is. <laughs> It really is. And I get made fun of, as a matter of fact, like I'm so smiley that I remember when my daughter was, was little, she would say to me, mom, stop smiling at everyone. It's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I've, uh, I think it's why when people look at me, they don't think I'm, they don't see my age. I mean, if you look at my skin, you really look at me. I mean, it really, I'm, I am indeed um, about to be 63. But it doesn't. Well, you must have your Zoom filter on because you look pretty well, good right now. Because I'm smiling all the time, right? Because <laughs> you're smiling. <laughs> like I've got frown. Like, yeah. Did you hear about that Botox study about? Um, so lots of women, especially, have, and they don't. Most plastic surgeons won't do this anymore. Would have Botox in the corners of their eyes to get rid of the crow's feet, right? Okay. Those crow's feet because they're a sign right. of aging and we like to wear makeup, some of us, and right. you know, let's get rid of the crow's feet. Well, what they found is that happy points went down for women who had this particular oh, Botox. And they found that those, they're called Duchenne lines, the creases in the sides of your eyes. And they're how we read as humans emotionally that someone is happy, that they're oh. truthful, that they're being authentic with us. It's a connector. So these women would go get a cup of coffee and they'd smile, but because the Duchesne lines didn't show, oh, that's funny. they were read as insincere and they were never getting the response that they expected from their own friendliness, from their own kindness. And so those little crow's feet that we get as we get older actually make us more relatable on a like a physiological level to people when we smile. Crazy, right? Go crow's feet. I, you know, I'm sort of fascinated about um, the way movie stars, um, because movie stars, their whole thing, right, is like emotional conveyance from the neck up. So they have to be able to, you know, use their faces in ways. Um, that's their that's their whole livelihood. And how I'm so I have a background as a photographer, and so I study this endlessly to to see and and so I can sort of tell like oh they do a little filler here, a little nip and tuck here, but they have to be really like if you're an, if if you're in that business, you have to be really careful with that stuff because of just this. You won't be able to register emotion. I don't know what this has to do with anything, the other stuff you're talking about. But I, it, we were talking about smiling. Yeah, right? smiling. Because <laughs> it, when you, it, true, it makes you look younger. It's a neurological trigger for you. It makes you feel happier just by doing it. And yeah. it gives you the ability to connect. And so maybe in those moments when you're in a defensive posture, it's a way to pull yourself out of it. A couple of deep breaths and a smile, you can pull yourself out of that defensive posture by using your own neurological trigger, smiling. That's right. And they'll register that. So anyway, cool. oh my gosh, we talk so much. <laughs> God knows what we could loop into if we kept going. <laughs> this is wonderful. Um, thank you so much for- It's so um, much fun to talk to you, David. Oh, <laughs> I, I I really I enjoy having people on who play good verbal tennis. Yeah, it's fun. Um, yeah, we were talking beforehand about how we think with our mouths. Right? I That's do. Fun. You know, I do, I have no. It's and I've I've started. I think I was telling you like I've taken to like um, the recordings of the stuff that I come whatever comes out of my mouth. I tr transcribe it now because people will say to me like what you said. Oh, the thing about the can. I had no idea I had said that. <laughs> I say, like, I say, oh, that's a really great idea. Where'd you get that? Oh, you said it. Oh, really? <laughs> wow, good for me. <laughs> where, good for me. No idea where that came from. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, thank you for your time today. Um, and it's it's been a pleasure getting to know you and, um, you know, contributing to Camp Reinvention. Yeah, thank you so much. We love having you as a part of Camp Reinvention. And um, this was a blast. Definitely most fun podcast I've been on so far. <laughs>
<laughs> you know, as Tom Ford says, I just want to be best in class. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wendy, have a wonderful rest of the week and um, we'll stay in touch. You too. Bye, David. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Um, coming up over the next couple of weeks, we've got a couple of awesome guests. We've got Dr. Laura Devgan, one of the foremost plastic surgeons in Manhattan, and that's going to be an interesting one. And then another really great one, we've got Dr. Samantha Boardman, who's a psychiatrist also in Manhattan, talking to us about the power of positivity. Um, those are not-to-miss episodes. Hey, if you got any questions for me or for Wendy, hit me up, david at superage.com. And remember, we've got that SuperAge Mastermind cohort coming up in January. More information on that coming up soon. Everyone, have a wonderful week. Please recommend our podcast to those that you know. Um, please subscribe. Please leave us a comment. Please leave us a rating wherever you listen. It really helps us. Have a great rest of the week. Take care now. Bye-bye.